Can we start by having like instead of uh, doing the normal intro, we could have it like, the beginning of one of these songs start, and then we could have Ron Howard narrating like <laughs> <laughs> something about what we're doing, and then we could start. This all sounds like Arrested Development music is what I'm getting at. Well, that's funny. But it would have to be genuinely funny, not just smug. Welcome to the So So Cool Podcast. Uh, this is the podcast where we listen to music we liked when we were younger and decide if it's still cool or if it's just so-so. I'm Brandon. I'm Joe, coming to you live on a low-quality microphone. <laughs> and I'm Matthew, <laughs> coming to you live from my regular microphone. <laughs> yeah, unfortunately, Joe is uh, not working with the, with the normal setup today. Yeah. Did you want to... But I could on bust out a version of Total Eclipse of the Heart. <laughs> because it's like a karaoke mic is what you're saying. <laughs> yeah. In my head, I sometimes, I don't know how similar these songs are, but I get that song confused with um, Alone. Is that Heart? You know the song I'm talking know. about? It... No. Did I always go Yeah. Oh, yeah, 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 yeah. I think I don't know wrong. if it's heart, but similar genre of like '80s, like power ballad. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> Turn around. So this week uh, we are discussing one of my picks: uh, Squirrel Nut Zippers' second studi, Hot. H a w t. Hot, 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 hot. <laughs> <laughs> and uh, yeah, so that came out in 96. And this is, we can't really talk about Scrum Night Zippers without dipping our toe into a little bit into the swing revival of the late 90s. Um, and so I wanted to do a little quiz for you guys of uh, swing revival questions. Okay. Are you ready? No, but let's do it. <laughs> uh, well, first of all, oh, something I saw was that it's also sometimes referred to as the summer of swing or the summer of the daddies, <laughs> which I thought was really funny. Was yeah. it just late 90s or I thought also early 90s because like uh, there's sort of this sort of like post-punk stuff that kind of dipped into some swing. And uh, I know like... Um, a bunch of uh, what's his name's movies had swing stuff in them. Yeah, the summer the summer of swing was ninety eight. We can discuss a little bit more about that after the quiz. But here's the quiz. All right. First question: Which swing revival band had a hit with "You Me and the Bottle Makes Three? Well, are, is this multiple choice or is this? This question is not. Most of them are not. Okay. Um, I'm gonna, just going to go. 
Yeah. On the Doughboys podcast, they say their name to buzz in. Okay. So I'm going to say Joe. Uh-huh. Uh, and my guess, it's a guess, because I don't really yeah. remember many of these bands, but I'm going to say Big Bad Voodoo Daddies. Ding, 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 ding. Nice. Except it wasn't plural. It was just Big Bad Voodoo Daddy. Oh, fuck. Okay. <laughs> but that is correct. Joe has one point. Your All money. Right. You know what else? You're a big winner tonight. <laughs> I can only think of four. But of the bands? Of ba- bands from this time. But anyway. Yeah, pretty much I can only really think five, of five. Maybe. Five, yeah. Yeah. I think of five. <laughs> All right. Here's... Question number two. Joe has a commanding lead. So, <laughs> Which swing revival band had a hit with Zoot Suit Riot in 1998? Joe. <laughs> oh, <laughs> did I Matthew get it? Matthew can go. Matthew can go. That's Cherry Poppin' Daddies, yeah? <laughs> Cherry Poppin' Daddies it is. Ding, 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 ding. Baby, you wow. are so money and you don't even know it. Bullshit. Woo. This is unprecedented on the pod. Well... I've exhausted all the bands I know. So. Oh, I have one more. I have one more. Question number three. Which swing revival band appeared in The Mask performing their song Hey Pachuco? Joe? While Jim. Yes, Joe. Royal Crown Review? Ding, 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 ding. Correct. Your money? You know what else? You're a big winner tonight. Joe, again, leaps ahead. But all it's right. always. Matt always has time to come back. All right, how about this one? This one's an interesting question. Which swing revival band performed at Bill Clinton's second inaugural ball and the 1996 Summer Olympics? Matthew? Matthew. Well, I'm just going to throw it out there because it's the only other swing band that I know. (laughs) (laughs) So I have no idea if it's right. Brian Setzer Orchestra? No. Oh. Oh, shit. Good, um... Joe. Yes. yes, Joe. Is it uh, Squirrel Nut Zippers? It is Squirrel Nut Zippers. Baby, you are so money and you don't even know it. Damn. The Squirrel Nut Zippers performed at Clinton's second inaugural address and the 96 Summer Olympics, which I thought was insane. They were kind of ahead of the curve. I don't know if we're going to talk about that. We are. Okay. We are for sure. Okay. Okay, cool. Any more? Um... Okay, uh, so Joe has three, three to one right now. Mm. All right, <laughs> next question. Which swing revival band is rumored to have delayed the release of their 90, 1998 album, The Dirty Boogie, so they could quickly record a cover of Louis Prima's Jump, Jive, and Whale after the song was featured in a Gap commercial for Khakis? Well, Matthew, Jump, Jive, and Whale is Brian Setzer, yeah? Yes, that's correct. Ding, 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 ding. Brian Setzer Orchestra. All right. One more. Oh, shit. One more. So uh, Matthew could tie it up or Joe could solidify his lead. Okay. Um, <laughs> which swing revival band formed in 1989? Was it A, Big Bad Voodoo Daddy, B, Royal Crown Review, C, Cherry Poppin' Daddies, D, the Brian Setzer Orchestra, or E, Squirrel Nut Zippers? Joe? Yes, I'm going Joe. to guess. I don't remember what letter it was, but I'm going to guess Cherry Poppin' Daddies. C? Okay. Matthew, do you have a guess? I would guess Brian Setzer. Mm. Neither of those. It's a trick question, because 
it's all of them. Big Bad Voodoo Daddy, Royal Crown Review, and Cherry Poppin' Daddies is the correct uh, <laughs> is the correct I answer. Like I, well, I think that yeah, you get you get a point for that. Joe definitely sure. gets a point because he was he was the closest. Your money. You know what else? You're a big winner tonight. So, good game, everyone. <laughs> yeah. Thank you for playing my little game. Do you remember the? This is not related to Swing Revival, but there was a game called Leisure Suit Larry. <laughs> <laughs> that sounds familiar. Featured boobs, I think, in it. Oh. And I well. think that was the only reason why I knew it existed. <laughs> uh, featured boobs. So, yeah. So, prior to this week. Is that a swing guys, band? Leisure Suit Larry. Oh, prior to this week or Leisure Suit Larry? <laughs> or boobs. <laughs> <laughs> Leisure Suit Larry could be. Yeah, for sure. Okay. Go ahead. Uh, so, prior to this week, what would you guys think when you heard the name Scronut Zippers, do you have anything to say about what you would think about that? Has it changed at all this week? What do you think? Uh, for me, uh, mostly just knew Hell, the yep. song, and I knew that Andrew Bird was in the band at at a point or collaborated with them. Uh, mm-hmm. But that's pretty much it. I didn't listen to them at the time. Yeah. Pretty similar. I wasn't even familiar with Hell. I had all these songs were new to me. Were you pleasantly surprised or were you like, that's pretty much what I expected? Or (laughs) what was it like this week? It was so like of all of the swing revival, I think they are. I guess a little less pop and a little more like uh, playing sort of true to stylistically like ragtime Dixieland um, like sort of Tin Pan Alley stuff. But so it was, it was not exactly what I expected. I expected something more along the lines of like Royal Crown review kind of stuff. Yeah. Yeah, they they certainly were kind of a different lane than all the rest of them because the rest of them sort of were more of it more of a connected to that more lounge, um, maybe forties swing sound. So they they do stand out to me as sort of just approaching it completely differently. What about you, Joe? Yeah. I would agree with that sentiment. I think that they're more, um, I think we'll talk about issues or criticisms that we have, but from a sort of a positive perspective, I think they seem like a little bit more eclectic in the sense that they have that like New Orleans style jazz influence and there's kind of um you know the ragtime kind of feel sometimes and so they're kind of like a more true representation of the genres that they're trying to play in any given song or it feels that way to me um so i think like it's really enjoyable stuff to listen to um just like just kind of like fun but uh yeah, that's kind of my my feel. And when I I did listen to like some of the 
just a couple of the other song like popular songs from that time from the other swing revival bands and yeah i I think i like this a little bit more cool well i'm glad i'm glad you guys uh enjoyed it somewhat and um i'm definitely a bit of an outlier as somebody who loves jazz from the 30s and 40s it's um it's just not uh super common i guess for our for our generation but um i kind of feel like swing even just more straight ahead swing is some of my favorite music just hands down well i would say i love a lot of the music that they're representing um like listening to Cab Calloway and Count Basie and Billie Holiday stuff and Louis Armstrong and all that. I love that sort of yeah. that spread from the the twenties through the forties is all really cool stuff and the sort of rise of big band and um and yeah, I love I love all that stuff, but I just was never familiar with Squirrel Nut Zippers kind of doing their own um version of it. So, yeah, but I, I think like overall, yeah, I was familiar with in the swing revival. Like, I think I had a, I think I had a Cherry Poppin' Daddy's album, maybe even a Royal Crown Review, but I had forgotten about them during the quiz. Um, yeah, but none of that music is m- memorable. Like, I don't really remember anything from that. And, uh, and listening to this, I just, I think like the one thing that stood out is they are really talented musicians. They are very, very good. And the production on it is pretty good too. There, I had mixed feels though. I will be honest. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> it was a very, yeah. I'm sure we'll get into it. Um, I had this, uh, the Cherry Pop and Daddy's album too. And I listened to it a lot uh, and I liked it a lot, but yeah, I think this is kind of like of all the, and I, and I didn't listen to scrolling at zippers, but like talking about that album that I did listen to a lot, like compared to some of the other things we've talked about where I might every few years go back and be like, Oh, this is kind of cool. Never have done that with the cherry pop and daddies or any other kind of swing revival band. Um, yeah. No, I liked some of it at the time and and i have never gone back to it um yeah so yeah that's fair i fair you definitely had uh royal crown reviews live album because i believe i borrowed it from you that's and that's how i uh first heard royal crown review was from uh borrowing that from you and um yeah i had the cherry pop and daddy's zoot suit riot compilation uh, which some people might not know was a compilation that was put together sort of to coincide with the big swing boom toward the end of the 90s because um, they were very they were very eclectic band like they did punk and funk and ska and swing and so they sort of um no pun intended, cherry picked uh, some of the ones that sounded the most swing and put them all on a, on a record. And I think Zoot Suit Riot was probably a new song that was put on there. And then that uh, was one of the highest uh, 
reached one of the highest um, on the Billboard charts of of that era uh, in the swing revival. So <clears throat> I still like that stuff, Cherry Pop and Daddies. I still um, not quite as much as I used to, but I still feel like it's really musically very cool. Their uh, their um, their swing stuff and. Uh, I never thought Big Bad Voodoo Daddy was cool at the time, but I actually kind of got into them after, um, like after high school and stuff, and went back and was like, oh, they're actually really good musicians too, and it's in this vein of music that I really like. And but, but I'm I'm the kind of person that's always seems to be passionate about a bygone era of music. Like in high school, I went through a big Sinatra and the Rat Pack phase and had posters of them on my wall and really went through like a Beatles phase, like at 20 and stuff like that. I'm always in the past with my, uh, it seems. (laughs) You know, it's interesting, you know, you mentioned the summer of swing um, Mm -hmm. and it seemed like the swing revival stuff was kind of like smoldering sort of, throughout the mid 90s like it was a thing that was popping up in various um aspects of culture and then like yeah. it it kind of to use the continue the fire analogy it kind of like f- became like this huge thing and it burned out really quickly in 98 yeah. because it was like yeah. i'm thinking of like swingers and like um uh stuff like the mask came out, I think in like 94, 95. Um, uh-huh. so there was stuff like it was kind of bubbling up and then there was the, um, ska stuff, which we've talked about. And like, no doubt, like when we talked, when we did that episode, there was a lot of mid century style. It wasn't necessarily, they weren't swing, but the ska and punk, um, crowd of the mid 90s had that very mid-century style of of dress so it was kind of like around and then and then it really got huge and then it kind of just disappeared completely i think ska actually has a lot to do with it because there was that ska sort of boom 96 97 and then it felt kind of like swing got uh, brought in right after that at least that's how it felt to me and that kind of tracks because of the summer of 98 being the summer of swing or summer of the daddies, so to speak. Um, so I think I think without the ska thing, maybe the swing revival wouldn't have happened. What's the, the genre that's... Um, some, uh, it's kind of more a post-punk, but it kind of is on the edge of swing. Um, like oh. rockabilly, yeah, or? rockabilly. That's the one. Because that had its moment. Psycho. <laughs> More rockabilly, because that had its moment in the early, like late eighties, early nineties. Well, like Brian yeah. Setzer was kind of uh, influ. You know, he was sort of the most, one of the most popular artists in both of those. Yep, little stray cats. Yeah, were pretty big. That's deal. the band I was thinking of. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. And I will also say Scrum on Zippers Hell was like the first big swing revival song. Um, but they never really considered themselves swing, uh, the Scrum on Zippers, and they hated the association with the swing revival. Um, 
Tom Maxwell from uh, Squirrel Zippers said, we were described as innovators and ripoff artists. We paid homage to the music we loved, but we were also ironic hipsters poking fun. We pissed off jazz purists who hated talking about us, as well as corporate radio, radio program directors, even as they put us into heavy rotation. Hell wouldn't have been a hit without the Swing Revival, and there would have been no Swing Revival without Hell becoming a hit. Um, and in another interview, he went on to say, the neo-swing thing to me is a joke. I'm not interested in the associated iconography of martinis and cigars that don't have anything to do with the music. I don't want to sell khakis, you know, as a band, we're trying to make music that's timeless. He really didn't like the association with the swing, with the swing thing. And he, they have talked about like when the swing thing blew up, one of the main things was like people lindy hopping and swing dancing and jitterbugging and, and, and like it was a it was a dance craze as well and uh squirrel nut zippers have said like people would come to hear us as part of the swing revival quote unquote and then get upset because they didn't feel like they could swing dance to our music and <laughs> um so it's interesting that that was such a dance craze because it's hard it's super hard like, and acrobatic and, it's not like um uh, like the Macarena or something. Say <laughs> like, yeah, yeah, line dance. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Because that was really big. Well, like, well, it's funny because the '90s had a lot of dance crazes. A lot of them though were line dances, like mm. Macarena stuff. Um, a couple of others. Yeah, yeah. There, there were a lot of <laughs> songs that were just that. Yeah, yeah, kind of had like a dance element associated with them. Um, Cotton Eye Joe, sure. I was thinking By rednecks. Your tootsie <laughs> roll, my tootsie <laughs> roll. <laughs> um, yeah, Laura and I took some uh, Lindy classes um, here in Seattle a few years ago, and um, it was interesting because there were some people a little older than us that had been dancing since the swing revival and they were yeah. like um oh yeah i got into it because like this was this big cultural phenomenon in the late 90s so yeah it, and it was interesting because at that point i hadn't thought about it for like 20 years <laughs> and yeah. i was like oh it's weird that people have been living their lives and this has been a big part of their sort of recreational lives for the last 20 years and i just haven't even thought about it so the Scornet Zippers, I saw a description of their music that said their style was a combination of Delta Blues, Gypsy Jazz, 1930s era swing, klezmer, and other styles presented in a campy, up-to-date presentation. Um, I don't hear any klezmer, but uh, but I, I do hear like di- I do now that I once I read it, I do hear it. <laughs> Interesting. Um, yeah. So we'll have to keep our ears open for like that influence when we listen. Um, yeah, I, yeah. But they they've talked about they were obsessed with people like Fats Waller, Cab Calloway, Louis Armstrong, Django Reinhardt was a big influence. Yeah, I can hear that for sure. Yeah, and also Tom Waits. Um, I read that that they were really influenced by Tom Waits, and I mean, well, he definitely has like a little bit of a nostalgia bit to him too. So. For sure, yeah. I could see that influence on the vo- the vocals. Let me give just a little bit of background on Scornet Zippers. Um, 
They formed in Chapel Hill, North Carolina in 1993. Chapel Hill was kind of a big scene for alternative music. And I read in in this book, I, I have this Scroll Nut Zippers book uh, written by Tom Maxwell about his life in the Scroll Nut Zippers. It's called Hell. And um, he said that some had dubbed Chapel Hill the next Seattle uh, around that time, that it was a big hub for interesting music coming out of Chapel Hill. Um, on Hot... As I said, it was their second full-length studio. It came out on June 4th, 1996. And they rented a house in New Orleans to record in. And the house was apparently haunted, which had some interesting stories in the book. Um, The personnel on Hot, so the people in the band at this time, Jimbo Mathis was the kind of leader of the band. He was, oh, I wrote this down for you guys. Jimbo was formerly in bands called Metal Flake Mother and Johnny Vomit and the Dry Heaves. <laughs> I saw that second one. Nice. <laughs> but he, he's the leader of the group. He sings, he plays guitar, banjo, and piano. Um, he is responsible, I think, for a lot of writing. His wife, Catherine Whalen, is uh, on vocals, banjo, and baritone ukulele. Tom Maxwell did vocals, guitar, baritone, saxophone, clarinet, and chandelier, uh, which I have I have a little story that I can tell about what that means. Chris Phillips is drums and percussion. Don Raleigh is double bass and gong. Ken Mosher on guitar, alto, and barry, sax, and vocals. Duke Heitker was on trumpet and cornet. Um, he was a studio musician. He, They had a trumpet player who left the band right before the recording of this, and they had a uh, studio musician just show up and like, I'm supposed to play on your record. I will say that the thing that almost most makes this album stand out is his trumpet playing. He was really, really good, and he's... He's a highlight of this record's uh, musicianship, I think. Yeah. And Andrew Bird was playing violin. The two of them, like, I didn't know that he was a studio musician, but the the violin and the trumpet definitely were standouts across the record as just being really, really solid performances. All right, so Hot. This album is their defining album, sort of, that everyone thinks of when they think of the Scrollnut Zippers. The album peaked at 27 on the Billboard 200 and was certified platinum. Um, Their breakout single and most famous song, Hell, peaked at number 13 on the alternative airplay chart. This album got great reviews. Um, Pitchfork gave the album a 9.5 out of 10, which is pretty cool. Yeah, Pitchfork really liked it. Kind of surprisingly. But we've talked about this with Cake. Like, the 90s seemed like the only time when Scornet Zippers would have had a huge hit. Like, the mid-90s were such a weird time for interesting off-the-wall stuff becoming really popular. <laughs> and And almost in this case, with these swing bands, it almost makes me think, like, it ne- they never should have gotten that popular. It doesn't make sense. They should have just been a small niche band 
and they never should have gotten to the heights that they got to. I think it, uh, <laughs> it just kind of probably came out of left field and maybe wasn't, uh, what they were. I'm sure it wasn't what they were expecting. I'll say that for sure. I think it's cool the way that this album was recorded. They recorded it in a house with all their stuff was sort of in different rooms, but they, it really sounds like it was captured live and, some of the stuff sounds like it was only captured on like a couple different microphones, especially track number two. Um, it really sounds not produced in the way you would think of production. It really just sounds like, and that serves this kind of music, I think. I mean, it, that's interesting because I my takeaway from this was that it sounded really, really well produced. Mm. I mean, because like a lot of the music, it makes me think of like listening to music from the, 20s 30s 40s and you go back and listen to that and you know there's a lot of crackling and popping and um recording techniques were not nearly as um as great as they are today and so like to me it just sounds like it was sort of this weird cognitive dissonance for me because it's like i'm listening to something that sometimes i even think like oh this sounds like a song that i know but it's just so highly produced that it just it is a little weird because like normally when I would think of that sound, it has like a bit of an ambience that you don't have in in um, pop music anymore. You don't have sort of um, those imperfections in the recording process. So yeah, it seemed like they it was well produced, but there were definitely a lot of examples where they intentionally like had things kind of like mic'd in a way that it sounded like like clearly choices they weren't it wasn't like oh this is poorly produced because we don't have the technology or the resources to pr- produce it well it was more just like this mic is going to be super far away and we're all just going to be singing over here or playing you know, a horn over here um, and have yeah. to give it more of a, that kind of ambiance. But I think they did. Yeah. They made those kind of choices a lot. Yeah. I, I think maybe part of what I'm saying here is a holdover of, I had in my mind for a long, long time that they had all recorded in the same room on possibly one or two microphones that actually wasn't true. So that might be part of why I'm like, it really wasn't produced at all because I had that feeling. And then when I was listening to it, I was like, you can hear everything when you need to hear it. Um, and some, and it sounds really, really good the way it's able to capture stuff that would be really, really lost in the, in the mix if they were actually performing it uh, yeah. <laughs> like that. One of the words that came to mind was intimate. Um, like, I feel like exactly what you said there where you could kind of pull out uh, the instruments individually. And I don't think you wouldn't really get that from such like a live recording. Um, right. Yeah. Yeah. And I, it might just be a little bit of a spirit they tried to capture of making it sound as, uh, as live and maybe unpolished as they can while also, making a really good sounding record. Um, which, I mean, seems like they did a pretty good job and it really does sound good. Um, 
This one in particular, though, I, I will say, like, the next Squirrel Zippers record sounds way more produced than this one um, and way less spontaneous. This one has more of a spontaneous, alive feeling. I think the kind of hot or, you know, the kind of energy that you, you're talking about, Kiz, is, like, one of the things that makes this more appealing to me than like some of the other swing revival bands like uh i i guess um they're also like we talked about kind of doing a slightly different sort of subgenre and and um but the other swing revival bands felt very like polished and buttoned up in a way that this feels a little bit looser this is sort of why i find this fun to listen to it's kind of like sonically um a good time but i have like a mental block with stuff like this where i'm just like i don't think of it as something that i'm like if it's not adding anything it's kind of just it, it's not something i'm going to come back to a lot or think of as like oh i really l- like them as like artists it's more just like oh okay that's cool that's fun when it's on but and that's kind of my yeah. takeaway from from listening to this for a couple of weeks. Yeah. Yeah, and that's totally fair. Um I think there are people I think I might be a person who's more able to embrace something for being a throwback um that's not necessarily adding something new just like this is just a celebration of a certain era of music that I really like. But also, I should also say this came out when I was like 11. And so I was hearing this before I heard Louis Armstrong, before I heard Cab Calloway. Like, yeah, yeah, yeah. There, there's something about like me embracing an album like this where I was not comparing it to other things I was hearing. I was like, oh, this is so cool. And I knew it was a throwback, but I also didn't, I wasn't familiar enough with the stuff to even catch some of the stuff that was really derivative, I guess you could say. Yeah. That's a really interesting point. Cause I think at least for me, I come with it, come at it from the opposite way, which is I had never heard the squirrel on zippers. I didn't really listen to a ton of old jazz, uh, in high school. But then when I went to college, I studied jazz. And so like went back and got the, the fake book and the real book and like learned all the old standards and, played in a bunch of different both big band and and sort of trad jazz stuff and bebop groups and so like for me i sort of like immersed myself in in jazz history in the early days of college and so then coming back to hearing this i just sort of like oh this is just like a modern well-produced version of those tunes um and so i guess for me it it didn't really strike me as really like i like i said i think I, i hear it and i'm like oh wow these are like really really talented musicians but it didn't strike me as like well this is really profound because it's stuff i've heard before just sort of repackaged in a modern recording um but again that's a little bit of an uh, like not fair because i think the the level of musicianship on this is really really good but at the same time there are also things that like i found really hard about this record like um, the vocals just are like a very clearly emulating Billie Holiday. And I, it was a little off-putting 
to me um, in like a way like it was felt a little bit like appropriation. And I like this stuff is like, you know, it, it it's a very gray area on that stuff. I mean, like you could look at most pop music and say like, okay, well, this is like same four chords repackaged and people emulating. But I think like for this particular music and to emulate such an iconic singer in a, like a very, it sounds like very intentional way. It just was a little uncomfortable. And then I think, you know, we'll talk about it in a little bit, but there are some things about that era of music too, especially mm-hmm. things like um, minstrel music, mm-hmm. which had yep. very, very racist roots. And like they, uh, you know, they quote a couple of, or specifically one on, on Prince Nez, they, they quote a minstrel tune. And so like some of that stuff is like, was a little hard to sort of like listen to. I, I had like weird feels listening to it and then the, but then yeah. for some of the other stuff it's like okay this is just kind of like okay yeah we're listening to a cab calloway tune kind of repackaged you know you're you're mentioning pop music and you know you could make similar arguments and i would say for me that's definitely true i'm sure like i don't want to come off as like oh i only listen to music that's like innovating it's like i i have my things that like you know probably more like rock oriented music where I might like something that's not really adding anything to the conversation. So, you know, that it's just more of a personal preference thing on, on that, in that regard. And then to add to the appropriation and that kind of related conversation, it seems like sort of something that you could, that could also just broadly be applied to the entire swing revival. Um, mm-hmm. You know, yeah, especially with like wearing zoot suits and yeah, stuff. the zoot yep. suit stuff. And um, if you went back to the '90s and looked at, and I'm I'm kind of assuming here, um, a lot of this would be, I, I assume most of the people participating in this and in the bands and stuff, as far as I can recall, are overwhelmingly white people. Um, which, you know, that's just, that's like pop, like, you know, like American music history. Again, we're not the, the best people to be talking about it or or experts on it or whatever, but you know, it's just something that, that is always in the back of my head and I'm thinking about when I'm listening to it. Yeah, totally. Yeah. It, it's an interesting think thing because when it just shows how much has changed even since the nineties, um, that I never would have, I mean, I wouldn't have understood the word appropriation when this stuff was popular. Um, and now I can't help but look at it and look at it through a lens of like, yeah, this was primarily a black art form. Um, as were almost all the popular, music movements and um but there is that minstrelsy i and i think this is something where scrolling at zippers is existing in a almost dicier position than all the rest of them because they the other ones that exist in this lounge era is sort of like a white dominated um 
time, at least in it, like when you think of lounge era swing and uh, crooners and stuff, you're typically going to immediately think of like the Frank Sinatra style and then like that kind of thing. This is um, like they're they're obviously going for like a Cab Calloway, Fats Waller, um, that kind of thing. And it brings up this like question of appropriation and ownership. And I think it's good to just talk about that at the top and also just say like, I don't, I don't even know what to make of it. I I'm, I'm not gonna pretend that I'm an authority or, or anything like that. No, but I would say like, you know, this sort of thing, like it made me want to go back and listen to all of that music um, yeah, and I think that that's that's really useful thing to do to go through and look at the history and um, but yeah, I guess it's it's such a weird thing because like on the one hand, I was like kind of it made me feel really uncomfortable, especially you know from an appropriation standpoint, like mm-hmm. taking old standards and kind of just reworking them in sort of in a quote unquote like original tune. Um, but yeah, then you think about like, well, some of these things were, you know, you think like a 12 bar blues and you can like repackage a 12 bar blues in a million different ways and still call it an original kind of thing. And so it, it, it yeah, it's a, it's a really weird, uh, gray area, but it, it, it did for me feel like, um, just had to sort of bring up that it, it parts of it did make me feel a bit uncomfortable. Um, yeah. To be more explicit about it, I mean, if you, I don't have the liner notes to the album, but just looking on like Wikipedia, um, they have songwriters um, listed for every song and it's members of the band. When you're listening to it, you don't have to be a, you know, music historian to know, oh, I know that song. That's not yeah. a Squirrel Nut Zipper song. Yeah. That's like, yeah. Yeah. There were a couple of times where that happened. I was like, that's not, this is them quoting something. Yeah. Outright. And like, I don't know what the um, standards and practices are for like that sort of thing. Um, But it does feel a little like, wait a second. Like, this isn't just like the same thing as like another band who you might be like, oh yeah, that's a, they're songwriters or whatever. It's a little a little different i don't know it's a sticky kind of territory to get into yeah like how much they change it they change things considerably but you can still hear hear the standards in there um and so yeah i guess it's like to what degree could you credit yourself to writing a 12 bar blues um Hmm. yeah i mean i mean that opens a whole world of blues (laughs) modern blues too um what is like i mean any genre you take you take yeah you lift something how what is what is like considered a substantial edit and it being something completely new and i think this just this record in particular just straddles of it felt like it was straddling that line pretty tightly yeah and another cool thing is that like when this album came out we didn't have access at like we do now to the entire catalog 
of the actual music that is still preserved from the 20s, the 30s and forward in jazz. Like it was it was way harder to you could still go and try to find like I'm, I'm going to get a collection of Cab Calloway songs. Or I'm going to get a collection of Fats Waller. Um, but what's cool about it now is like. Hey, I have this stuff at my fingertips. I have a subscription to a music library, and and uh, I would just say if you like this kind of music, for sure go and check out the actual stuff from the uh, the twenties and thirties and forties. Ready to listen? Yeah, yeah. Let's do it. Actually, I'm gonna go. I got my own thing now. <laughs> oh. Strike up, swear I had my mind made up. Now I'm getting older, and that thing is in full swing. Now I'm getting bolder. might be my favorite one really how much of that did you play i I think i had a note about the trumpet solo on this one we listened to almost about a minute Mm. i had one a minute 10 wow Uh, me too all right me too And the banjo in the back there is so good. I love the Barry Sachs little turnaround every time. Yeah, Barry Sachs is cool in there. What a delight. Yeah, just so fun. I mean, if we don't Up tempo, like putting aside the stuff we talked about completely, most of uh-huh. this stuff is just like delightful to listen to. It's just kind of it's very fun. Yeah, it's a fun tune. I think the guitar playing is slippery and fun. Um, the trumpet solo is great. The specific guitar solo there at fifty-five seconds. The the guy I think playing that was probably Tom Maxwell and he was trying to do on a couple of these, these songs um, guitar solos that are chords. Um, he's, he's going like yeah, using, dyads, yeah. using chords. And he said he was specifically um, imitating. I forget his last name. His name is Al or Albert. Uh, it was Fats Waller's guitar player he used to do that a lot. And um, he specifically, channeling that in some of these solos and i think that's pretty cool i also we don't 
We don't need to listen to it, but I also like the part where they do the shoop up, shoop up, shoop up, shoop up, shoop it up. So the the trumpet player didn't join the band or anything after, like he didn't play with them after the. Um, nope. Hmm. They asked him to, and uh, he said, "I got such a good thing going on here." Like if he's a New Orleans trumpet studio trumpet player, yeah, he. They they he mentioned in the book Tom mentioned in the book that his fee was hefty to the point that he was like I could see why he'd want to stay here he doesn't have to tour and he's making great money playing on uh, on records like ours uh, and it's a pretty good gig if you can get it yeah so they ended up getting a different trumpet player after after this and is this one sung by Jimbo. Yeah, this is Jimbo. Okay. Um, the three singers have such different voices. Yeah. Um, I used to not even super love Catherine's voice. She, I've grown to appreciate her more. But Tom has, uh, he's not the natural singer that Jimbo is. So I tend to gravitate toward Jim's songs. Which one sang this one? This is Jimbo Mathis. Uh, Tom, for instance, sings Hell. Got it. And track four, Twilight, which is the one that stands out to me as like, it's a little, it's a little rough from a like pitch uh, perspective, but it's I still like pretty it. Pretty rough from a singing perspective. <laughs> but not to be hard on him, but... I'll I'll listen for that on Twilight because I don't remember thinking yeah. that I didn't like the vo- the singing, but I, I'll keep an ear out yeah. for it. Yeah. All right, this next one's put a lid on it. First one, Captain. Got this growly, muted trumpet. So this was the first one that, um, I mean, you guys know the stuff probably better than I do, but th- this is like the first one where I was like, can they really say that they wrote that song? Mm. Yeah. <laughs> what does it sound like to you? I, well, I don't know. Like the, I can't name it. It's the kind of thing where maybe Matt, maybe you can, gotcha. but I'm just like, oh, that's a, that's a tune. Like that, that's something. I mean, the thing is, it's a bunch of tunes. Yeah. Like, it's Hit the Road Jack. Yeah. Oh, that's um, a really good call. It's also, like, a couple of, like, it sounds a lot like um, 
what's his name? King Oliver and his orchestra. Yeah. Um, there's also like, I don't know. This is, this is where the singing, I think the singing is really a little cringy. I would say like, they're like, they're sort of someone's trying to like do like a, almost a Louis Armstrong growl. And she's like trying to sound like Billie Holiday and, yeah, they're all white, and so it it has a little, it feels a little uncomfortable. But again, like I mean that tr- I mean the trumpet playing there with the mute is just so good. Yeah, so it's true. And there's a great Barry Sack solo at one fifteen. <laughs> I mean, you don't get a lot of Barry Sack solos in music. <laughs> no. <laughs> yeah. But I mean, yeah, that chord, I mean, that chord co- progression is something that's used in a lot of tunes. Um, yeah. There's one I can't, I just can't put my finger on it now. But, um. Hit the Road Jack was a good call. Yeah. For sure. Yeah. I mean, that didn't come out until late 60s uh i don't know i would have guessed earlier but i don't know off the top of my head was ray charles the first to record that i believe so okay did he write it though i don't know uh percy may i remember it's in the movie ray (laughs) percy mayfield Mayfield is the writer um And it was oh, that's right. 61. It's the number 61. one hit in 61. Okay, cool. So I would say that this one might be the least polished sounding song. And there's a reason for that. Um, this song was one of two songs that were accidentally erased after they had finished recording. Um, thankfully, they, there was... Yeah. Uh, one of them was... This was while they were mixing something that they did. um, They were in the studio and they heard the person like, no, like uh, that they messed up and a huge chunk of this got erased. And thankfully there was a version that had been put on tape that somebody had had uh, with them um, from one of the earlier things. And that's what's, on this they had to overdub the trumpet because the trumpet wasn't on it um but this is the one that probably sounds the least polished because they're taking a not perfectly uh they're they're taking everything from a tape um right of an of an earlier performance of it um did george michael um accidentally record his his star wars moves on top (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> oh i thought you meant i thought you were going with like a george michael the musician reference and i was That's like i don't why know. it was convenient <laughs> <laughs> yes uh 155 the trumpet solo also so growly and great on this one yeah i mean this one this one 
to me, I feel like it sounds like a King Oliver kind of bit. Yeah. Such good, good intonation, and they did this song on Sesame Street. I don't know if either of you saw this on YouTube. You can oh. see it on YouTube. Um, they put different things on one of the characters' heads, and the, it's like put a pig on it, <laughs> and like stuff like that. Uh, so there's the you can YouTube Scorn and Zippers on Sesame Street performing this song. With was it? Around this time? Yeah. Yeah. Shall we go to the first instrumental track on the record? Memphis Exorcism? Yeah. I feel like this is probably the closest to sort of feeling like the rest of the swing revival stuff. guitar it reminds me of like the Ren and Stimpy <laughs> yeah, yeah. Uh, <laughs> theme song. Yeah, this one's kind of interesting it's a kind of weird sounding in a way it always has kind of given me like cantina song vibes from Star Wars in a way. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Fun. What do you guys think of this one? I can't, the the hook like the like it reminds yeah. me of a tune. I don't know if it's a Duke Ellington tune or um but yeah, it has sort of a little bit of that um orchestra vibe um yeah i i never i never thought that but i can hear it when you say that yeah yeah it's the the melody sounds very close to something that i just it like i think this whole like the the tldr this whole record is like that melody (laughs) it sounds exactly like something i've heard before but i can't quite place exactly what it is yeah right yeah i like this i mean this is a fun tune and i like a bunch of the there's some like solos and features and things that are really good yeah um at 105 i think what is at this part um there's something really cool happening i think it's like kind of drums and i i think it's the bass or maybe a guitar that's just doing this like bow 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 like i refer to it as a breakdown yeah i I think it's this like half step thing going on in the guitar or bass and it's something that 
I recognized immediately. I was like, they do that in a Cherry Pop and Daddy song, and I always think it's so cool. It's a song called Ding Dong Daddy of the D-Car Line. Um, <laughs> I can remember that name. Is that is that just happening in the drums, or is it actually happening? Is somebody playing? It's the bass. Bo, 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 bo. Is it the bass? It's in the bass, yeah. Yeah, it's yeah. the bass. Well, here I'm gonna put from the section from Ding Dong Daddy of the D Car Line from Cherry Pop and Daddy's doing that same thing. I mean, it is a te- like the the way that they tuned tune the toms there to sort of coordinate with the baseline. They're like Yeah. Very cool. Well done, Tom. <laughs> <laughs> How did they tune the wills? <laughs> what? <laughs> oh boy. little mr bungly (laughs) yeah the guitar stuff in this record was the part that i was like there's so much cool so many cool guitar solos yeah that i hadn't really remembered standing out when i first listened to this back in the day but i'm really impressed by the guitar yeah now i really like the rhythm guitar actually just like the style of of playing in this kind of music but it's it's always very noticeable and i like it yeah and there's there's various things happening sometimes there's banjo Mm -hmm. sometimes there are different people playing guitar um it's cool and i don't fully know who all is playing when um i know jimbo is pretty great at guitar um so I think maybe some of the more flashy solos might be him, but he was a big Django Reinhardt fan. Yeah. Yeah. I just, I really like that, that lick, the like, and the way he kind of like, yeah, the way he kind of yeah. slaps it a little bit so that it, yeah. Yeah, for sure. All right. Twilight track four. Because his fave. now this actually used to be one i'd skip a lot and i listened to it through this time i was like oh my gosh there's so many great things in this too yeah um but you know the singing's a little rough for me it's a good change of pace love that bending yeah slide guitar or something 
come to me at twilight. The salt summer breeze, the sand, the waving hair. A little pitchy on that one. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> but it's so pleasant in so many ways. Yeah. Um, I used, I think I used to hold that against it a lot and I'd skip this one a lot, but like I already said, I, I listened to it this time. and was like, Ooh, there's some great stuff in this song. Um, I have a timestamp, but I'll let you guys talk about it if you want. Have you ever had, um, a sensory experience of something that's, it's like bordering between really pleasing and um like viscerally upsetting <laughs> like it's uncanny i don't well like i don't know i've had it with smells before okay. where i'm like like when you smell your own farts and you're no. like <laughs> <laughs> no 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 like um it, it, it's hard to explain but like a f- there's like like flowers that like I can't stop smelling them, but like there's a part of me that also finds it like bordering almost on disgusting. Wow. Okay. But sometimes like Is a Brad, you like, feel a, in this song? <laughs> like a Bradford pear. Uh, yeah, the calorie pear, the the jizz, the jizz tree. Um <laughs> the, <laughs> sometimes sax saxophones sound are like that to me. Like I think mm. it's the like the honkiness sometimes it's like um whoa whoa <laughs> it's like i mean i really we said that they were white but <laughs> <laughs> it's like something that i find really pleasing but also can almost border on nails on a chalkboard for me yeah and it's kind of it, this is this song and the in, like when the sax came in i was kind of like i kind of like that but kind of Makes me feel uncomfortable. Yeah, I'm. I don't know. This song is very meh. I feel like yeah. of it just sort of just doesn't sound like all that much. Mm-hmm. I mean, like the the guitar playing is kind of cool, um, but I don't know. It feels like a song where like kind of not much happens, as mm-hmm. opposed to some of the other ones that like there's just like a really virtuosic like thing happening and you can kind of just glom onto that and be like okay that's really cool um but i think like i don't mind the singing i kind of like that it's a little bit it's a little bad yeah but overall as a tune i think it's just it's kind of meh yeah i i would i would for the most part agree i really like 150 the banjo solo the the choices made in this banjo solo were I think are so great. great in tune but i like that aspect of it kind of like uh-huh you know like a uh, mac demarco 
Mm-hmm. No. It has a bit of like a Mac DeMarco f- vibe to it where it's like slightly not tuned. Yeah. Um, I mean, sometimes that can be great. A little. And, oh, I love that banjo solo. I, so. I had a um, timestamp at 309. Octaves here. Yeah. That's cool. I like that outro. I think it's a good, well placed for a song yeah. that's not like as noteworthy as some of the other ones. I think it it's fit fit in there at a good point. Yeah, that's good. That's a good point, and it's. Definitely not as hot. It's bringing down the heat, <laughs> but in a in a pleasing way. It's like a it's like a sour cream. That's right. <laughs> sour in that it's a little bit pitchy and everything's not tuned up. Yeah, right. totally. It's like a sour cream on but your burrito. So creamy. It cools you down, but it also adds a little tanginess. That's right. That's right. I'm really into bringing in yeah. these other sensory experiences. I think that's great. That can be your uh, <laughs> your main thing for the show. Just like, <laughs> do you guys know when you love something, but you also like freaking hate it? <laughs> it it feels like a not that uncommon sensation. Yeah, I think cats experience this. You know, when you like pet them and then they attack you. <laughs> <laughs> uh i don't pet a lot of cats i'll be honest. yeah <laughs> so is it is it the cats are having this or the human while they're being bit? No, the cats cats are having this experience that i'm having <laughs> it's like oh god yeah. that feels so good and then you're like all right too much <laughs> yeah steve steve does that you have to watch his tail you can only get about three to five pets in uh-huh. and then you see his tail quiver and then he bites you <laughs> yikes uh, yeah just you guys have to remember it ain't you <laughs> it ain't you I do really like how how loud the bass is in the mix. I like the very deliberate guitar chords too. Very interesting. Very spa- it's very sparse of what's going on. Yeah. I think now um this feels like this with combined with Twilight feels like a bit of a lull to me. Fair. Um yep. And at Twilight I'm like 
all right, this is a nice change of pace. And then at this, at this, at it ain't you, I'm kind of like, okay, I'm kind of over this change of pace and looking for something a little, yeah, to bring it up again. Yeah, I think this is a stronger tune though. If so, if you had to drop one, I'd probably drop Twilight. Yeah, that's what I was gonna say. Which is, I think that's probably one of the reasons I always skip Twilight. Yeah, um, because what's coming right after it is also a little bit down, but also much more pleasant. I like this one. And it's one of my favorite Catherine vocal performances, I think on this one. Yeah. Uh, yeah. It's just hard for me to get over the Billie holiday mimicking, but it sh- yeah. I mean, or, the vocals are really well done. And I feel like mm-hmm. I went and listened to a bunch of, other things that she's sung before and i i think she has a really really awesome voice it's just yeah that um and she doesn't emulate billy holiday outside of this record and it i think that it just is a little it bothers me um it's huh. hard for me to get over yeah and you you guys and i uh texted a little bit about it this week and i mentioned it there but i haven't said it yet but she was a very she was very reluctant singer she wasn't very um confident in her singing ability i don't think and didn't really want to sing and and jimbo kind of really wanted her to so that could have been maybe a something she did out of maybe not being super confident in her singing um that she knew that she could affect billy holiday or put in put on an affect in the next song of Betty Boop, uh, which is a very strong choice. Um, uh, strong meaning like it's definitely a choice, um, <laughs> but it could, it could be that I'm not trying to excuse the, the blatant Billy holiday, um, <clears throat> sound, but I could see very, very easily that being something that she got probably a lot of, compliments about like oh my gosh you sound just like billy holiday and that goes so well with your guy's sound and stuff like that so maybe maybe that was a little bit what was going on yeah i could see if you're kind of reluctant to perform putting on like a character sort of and then once you get more comfortable you kind of find your own voice yeah 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 that makes sense i uh and the thing is, I I like when singers do characters, but when they do caricatures of other people, it's a it's a little weird. That's a full turnaround. Yeah. Again, so many cool choices with the solo. Oh. He does a lot of that circling. Um. Where he'll repeat the whatever triad he does, just sort of outlining the chord progression. Yeah. Yeah, good call. That that was that was a good one to hear. Yeah, yeah. Did you ever do any characters, Kisner? 
as a singer? Not really. Mm. Not really. I never really thought about it until I became very aware of Paul McCartney doing characters, specifically on Monkberry Moon Delight. Yeah. I was like, whoa, what he's doing here is like so interesting. <laughs> I'll do more characters, Joe. <laughs> no, I yeah, I would love to, I would love for you to do that. You've got a lot of vocal range, so Mike Patton obviously does a lot of yeah. that kind of stuff. I heard uh what what song was it? Bolum the Bionic Vapor Boy, Gollum the Bionic Vapor Boy yesterday at a bar and it was very Oh, really? Yeah. <laughs> I think it was like a Halloween mix. Oh, cool. I mean, California is a very Hallow- Halloween-y kind of album. Halloween-y. Yeah. When I was in kindergarten, I sat next to a, a kid way older than me, and I had a Halloween book that I was given, and he went Halloween-y, and I got really upset. Oh, I'm sorry. <laughs> that sucks. I know. it. I don't like to talk about it. <laughs> This song has a bit of a Minnie the Moocher vibe. Mm. Do you agree? Um, I'm trying to think of what Minnie the Moocher sounds like. Yeah. Yeah. It's kind of slinky in the same way, maybe. We should do a podcast... Yep. Where we just recollect melodies. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, I guess you could do that with a lot of things. It's just, for some reason, this record in particular. Really. Yeah. No. Yeah. I mean, because it, because yeah, it's no. so, it's like, so it's, it's purposefully quoting yeah. a lot of stuff that um, it does that more than like maybe a pop record yeah. where you're like, oh, this is the same four chords as you know, 35 other pop tunes. It draws your attention to it, and then once your attention is drawn to it, you're like, oh, that sounds exactly like whatever. Yeah. yeah. Well, speaking of songs that sound very much like other things. Yeah. yeah. Here comes Prince Ness. <laughs> this one does directly <laughs> quotes. Uh, here comes the judge. I mean that's pretty over, direct. Yeah, <laughs> that's directly quoting. Yeah. Um, quoting good. Hello, my baby. Hello. Yeah. Yeah. Hello, my baby. Hello, my honey. Hello, my ragtime gal. They directly ripped off that um, song that was originally in Spaceballs. <laughs> <laughs> that's where it's from. <laughs> Well, that is a minstrel era, right? Yeah, that's a minstrel song. Yeah. Um, so Weird. not in good taste, but you know. Yeah, yeah. It's made, it was. Made I mean, I used to really enjoy it yeah. at the time in the nineties. Mm-hmm. Um, well, Looney. I mean, I, Looney Tunes. 
use that song in um, a few of their because they had that that frog character yeah who would yep sing it and then there's a recurring that recurring theme through a couple of different cartoons yeah but, but yeah it's its origins are not so not so great yeah yeah obviously like uh lots of those warner brothers cartoons and disney cartoons had tons of racist shit in them as well so yeah yeah i have the like hawaiian sounding slide guitar solo at 107 but i really don't care And it has an up-tempo, real fast outro that I also wrote down. But mm-hmm. yeah. There's that violin. really buried the violin is really buried yeah it's pretty low in the mix until the yeah here it comes out a little bit more as such good violin playing yeah i feel like there's only one or two songs where i was really like wow the violin is being featured and is really cool yeah yeah not a lot and it's more toward the end of the record. Yeah. Well, should we proceed Let's do it. to should we go to hell? <laughs> Truthfully, I was never as big into this song as everyone else was. Um, I think it's fun. And there's a lot of different fun little sections. But This, it's funny that this follows Prince Nez because I, this song is fun for sure. But it also yeah. made me feel quite a bit uncomfortable, like they're doing a calypso. Um, Mm -hmm. and then sort of the lyrics are very like superstitious talking about the afterlife, which is just such a like trope of Caribbean 
music and so i don't know it feels a, a little point, yeah this one also felt like cringy back to back prince nez then this one felt very weird i mean the musically i like i like it i love calypso music um mm-hmm. but yeah yeah i think because i've heard this song so many times um i don't hear that stuff very much yeah um it's like it's one of those songs that's kind of in the it's like wallpaper or you know like in in the musical fabric or cultural fabric um mm-hmm. so i'm just like oh this is like a squirrel nut zipper song um You're right so yeah it's just interesting how that works um since i i heard it at the time so i don't i i've actually i was thinking like this feels more like their own thing or whatever like they're doing their own thing whereas the other songs all feel so um you know reaching back and 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 taking from other genres so blatantly um yeah so it's interesting that you I, like i don't hear that but you do hear it matt because i just kind of i'm like yeah this is a blatant calypso lift yeah like it's it's very very intentional yeah the, the calypso song <laughs> yeah. um there was a video for this one and the concept was described as the Lawrence Welk show directed by David Lynch. Mm. Um, also the vocal performance is notable. Uh, he really goes for it. Yeah. And that should be acknowledged, especially as it goes on. Um, maybe we could play like the little end. Um, and also when we listen to it, <laughs> listen for, you hear a chandelier at the very end. Um, it's because where he was standing, there was a chandelier above his head, and he was really like trying to like do really interesting things with the vocal. And they were like, like uh, shake the chandelier, make make sure you can hear the chandelier. And he must have like taken a part that like fell off, and you can hear. And I never knew this until I read the book again. He says at the end. I broke the chandelier and it's, it's, it's on the record. It's just really quiet. Cause it's at the very end. That's funny. When Beetlejuice came out in 88, right? Is that when that movie came out? Yeah. Yeah. So a little detached from like the Harry Belafonte kind of. Mm. Yeah. I really like the quality of that. There's the chandelier. Oh. <laughs> There's I broke the chandelier. Yeah. Very quiet. I mean that that one should be the one that most people are familiar with. Um so I mean it's got such a cool like you know, my criticism of it, um, notwithstanding, it's got a really cool sonic arc. Like just the performance on it is incredible. I mean, that sax solo is so good. And the, the vocals, I feel like he 
he brings it pretty well on there. So yeah, mm-hmm. yeah, got to give it up for his vocal performance. <laughs> that was that song requires that kind of going for it. All right, meant to be. I like how like the upright bass slides a lot in the beginning of this. I think that's the Why drummer. Did they do that? <laughs> I don't know. Now oh, those dyads too on the bass. Andrew Bird. Yeah. It definitely has an Andrew Bird sort of vibe to it. Like his Yeah. His music later on. Yeah. Oh, taking the melody, the vocal melody. A lot of long intros on this album before the before the vocals. Sort of like. The attacks there are like super delayed. Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah, that so, that does have lyrics. Catherine sings that one. So this tune to me feels more like they're doing something a little bit like their own take. Mm-hmm. Like they're taking sort of the country western vibe, a little bit of blues and delta feel and then i don't know it's it definitely feels like it's got a little bit of its own thing where i'm not listening to just like a throwback tune yeah it certainly stands out on the album as being way different i like that one it's another pleasing low-key one uh did you have any time stamps on that one i do not I didn't. I didn't put anything. Yeah. Well done. Uh, <laughs> the next song was always one of my favorites. So really, I was always in the hurry to get to this one. Jimbo song. his voice on it a lot too yeah i don't know (laughs) (laughs) i'm not crazy about it no it just feels like a lot of uh not that different than some other songs earlier on in the record 
I think that's true, but I think I prefer this one to like say like put a lid on it. Mm-hmm. Uh, again, I think uh, maybe because it does feel like it's a little bit more. I don't know. So it's, it's a little bit different. Yeah, I also don't like the bad businessman. The name no, no. or the the lyric, it's dumb. The lyrics are a little weird, yeah. I would I would maybe say that this one feels to me like the most swing revival Yeah, 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 yeah. Especially sure. with the lyrics, yeah. the bad businessman. Yeah. Uh, like ding, ding dong daddy of the D-car line kind of vibe. <laughs> I'm like, come on, guys. This is corny. <laughs> yeah. It is It is definitely corny. Um, yeah. I did have the the trumpet solo at Well, so I think like as a tune, I might like sonically like this one a little more than put a lid on it. But I think the solo trumpet solo is a little lackluster. I'd take. Oh, you didn't like that solo too much? No, like I think I mean, maybe it's just because like we heard basically a version of that. Was it in put? I think it's on put a lid on it. He does the the muted growly. Yeah solo yeah. and it's a little bit more virtuosic and interesting on that tune that here it's just a little bit like a little one note fair enough um shall we flight of the passing fancy shall we perf- i love that title flight of the passing fancy is it a slight slightly homophobic phrase though yeah Passing fancy, like it's like a it's like a thought, right? I think it's just a reference to the uh, passing fancy turn of phrase. Tom Maxwell in the book talked about how he loved the floor tom intro, but then that li- that sound became so associated with the swing revival. Um, I mean, it's basically just sing, sing, sing. Everybody else is just kind of appropriating that in their own way. Um, 
and like Hey Pachuco from Royal Crown Review and Zoot Suit Riot from Cherry Pop and Daddies, it just became a very common thing to do that floor tom thing. So he said he was sad that later he changed his feeling a little bit about the floor tom intro. Yeah, I definitely thought of that um, when I heard it. Yeah. And it's one of the it's another one of those things that kind of cements this more in the swing revival. Like yeah. oh that's a sound that is associated with that. I I had a timestamp of one fifty um that there's like a build up. I like the I had the berry sacks coming up. Is that a quote of something? Sounds like it, but again, I don't, I can't place it. But this, this bass line is. But it's so simple. It's like to the, I mean, it's almost like yeah. to call it a quote is. I had another at 115, I said, is this a quote of something? And I can't even tell anymore because I've heard it so many times. But I kind of thought it was. It's the underwater music I- in Super Mario. <laughs> <laughs> That I think I think that's something. I think it's like a game show or something. I don't know. Yeah, that's a fun tune. Yeah, I like it. Mm -hmm. Again, there's a lot of great solos and performances, but if it is homophobic in the uh, title, definitely want to condemn that. I never thought of that phrase as like. What, I, a passing fancy is like yeah, it's like a a fancy is like an interest right? or a thought like yeah huh. gotcha yeah I just like I don't know there's something about it's maybe me just over analyzing and being overly critical of the the lyrics like your mama's gonna take it hard you're always a mama's boy but oh I I, I didn't read the lyrics or listen to them so well there aren't lyrics to that song yeah, I didn't. Oh, wait. I'm looking at something different. Okay. Oh. Oh, I'm looking at Blue Angel. That's a different tune. The next one. Uh, that's the yeah. next one. Yeah. And uh, in my so. opinion, a big um, waste of government spending. <laughs> the Blue Angels. <laughs> Bad for the environment. Big Andrew Bird feature again on violin. Andrew Bird's playing both of those string instruments. Sounds like a cello. Your mama never told you 
bills to treat a girl. never been one of my favorites never been a standout for me but i think that for some reason the well andrew bird's just really talented um Mm -hmm. but i think also layering on like that fiddle it kind of mashes up sort of the new orleans sound with more of the appalachian sound and to me Mm -hmm. that's like an interesting mashup where they're sort of at the same time creating something a little bit sonically different um so i don't know that's to me that I like it sonically. It's, it's like one of the more interesting ones from that perspective. Yeah. I like this one. I think it's one of the more, uh, noteworthy tunes on here. Hmm. It's, it's different, which gives it a nice yeah. refreshing, mm-hmm. I have 115, and I wrote, it's a very unique solo section, and I like the the bass and the interplay with the two guitars and the bass. A blue angel. playing with the feel so it has this off kilter sometimes they're swinging sometimes they're playing straight yeah and just kind of like accentuating little like bah, like it's this makes me really excited even even listening to it now I'm like this is super cool yeah. yeah for sure I love yeah the way that was very interesting do you know w- one name we haven't mentioned much? Uh, Ken Mosher, who also played guitar. Do you know if if um, he did like a lot of the lead stuff, or was it kind of just a mix that they kind of traded off? That's a good question. That's where I don't know because they all took turns playing guitar. Yeah. Like Ken, I'm pretty sure played Barry played sax and guitar. Saxophone, and- yeah. So, yeah. Okay. So I don't know. Did he write that song, Joe? It was, um, it was, it's a Jimbo and Ken Mosier as the co-writers. Yeah. I remember reading that he has kind of like a, his songs are a little bit weird. Okay. Uh, and that one kind of falls under, it's a bit of a weird one for He's them. He's credited on the last four as song, as okay. a songwriter. Um, but the only one where he's the sole songwriter is the last song, which we'll listen to next. It's interesting. I didn't, I didn't notice that, but these, I feel like the back half of the album is much more, it starts to drift into like territory where it feels like it's, uh, doing something a little bit more interesting. I don't necessarily know if it's, it's successful in it. I think like the performance and the sound quality, some of the, first half of the album is like just really it's really virtuosic and really well done performance wise but then in terms of the songwriting i think the back half is just feels a little bit more original yeah uh 
the next one, the last song, the interlocutor, um, that can we just play this one all the way to one thirty? One of my favorite guitar moments is in this. Yeah, that line right there is really cool. Yeah. Oh, I love that. This here, this is one of my favorite moments. What the drum does there, it's like, oh, so good. I mean, there's definitely a, a bit of a Mediterranean stylistic of playing on the guitar. Like you can almost hear like bazooki or, um, banjo sound oh this right here are they playing bells in the back in the background there backwards did you guys ever hear that this is the one part on it that I'm like that doesn't sound like a lot that sounds like a backwards bell sound can you go back to 138 yeah yeah, yeah. and and weigh in on that Oh, yeah, that sounds something yeah. backwards. Yeah, it's because they play, he like plays the inside of the cowbell. He's like, okay. he's like trilling the inside of the cowbell. And then I think maybe yeah. they just play that sound backwards. Don't know. Okay. Well, there's some, yeah, there's something that I'm like halfway through it flips around and it sounds like it's playing. It's so subtle, but I'm like, that's the one part of it that sounds like production that really does not sound like it's of the time yeah well i mean the the percussion in general is doing each section it's kind of doing something different so it's like playing yeah. on the rims and it's like playing with the cowbell and then it does all this woodblock work um so it's like really interesting yeah. i think like this tune definitely feels like it's a it's kind of pushing into different territory um it has almost like a cartoon uh cartoon yeah. vibe is this one this one's completely inst- instrumental, right? Yes. Yep. Yeah. Yeah, I really like that one too. And that one just so many great performances. And that's the one that's writ solely attributed to Ken Mosier. So I don't okay. I don't know if um the lead guitar I mean, there's obviously multiple guitars, so I don't know if he was yeah. Doing some of those super cool uh yeah. solo around whenever that was like thirty or forty seconds in. Yeah. Well cool. Um 
yeah i i really liked coming back and listening to this one it's it's always fun for me i do like listen to this kind of music pretty regularly um but not scoring the zippers a lot but uh it's definitely something i haven't not listen uh, it's not like i have i've gone years and years and years without listening to it but i like i mean that last tune i really like a lot it's really fun yeah yeah final reflections anything you want to say i enjoyed it more than i thought i would because i honestly didn't know what to expect from the squirrel nut zippers and i thought it was going to be more somewhere in like i don't know why when i heard them i was like oh they're like a a ska band or something um Mm -hmm. and so i wasn't no i didn't know what i was getting into and i think i really enjoyed like the performance i really like andrew bird um i like his music after squirrel nut zippers um i think yeah the only thing for me was just like these moments of like sort of playing or like riffing off of old standards and um and some of the like appropriation bits were weird for me but i think overall the sound of the album it's really well performed the sound is really good um overall was pretty fun to listen to what do you think joey yeah similar i mean i think i maybe had a little bit more exposure to the band um than you matt but not a lot and and um had similar feelings uh like any of this kind of stuff i you know there it is a music that's very steeped in nostalgia and looking back at a an older style or many older styles of music um but yeah i thought it was really enjoyable to listen to it's really fun um and they're all great musicians so um that helps a lot and i'd say the other swing revival acts and stuff that we talked about of all of them i like this band probably the most of the ones i've heard i would agree with that yeah and i kind of figured that yeah (laughs) yeah um there's something more i don't know what the best way to put it homegrown or something something like a little bit more yeah less glossy and Mm mm-hmm schmaltzy or something uh about them yeah but yeah well thank you guys for coming along with me on that journey i know that you weren't super into them or the swing stuff as much as me but uh i know we all and we all appreciate that style of music uh certainly the original stuff so very cool it was a lot of fun for me so yeah thanks for suggesting it yeah all right, well, um, we might as well close out here, but um, thanks for listening and, and stay tuned. And uh, unless we decide that we don't like Twitter anymore because of Elon Musk, uh, you can check us out on Twitter. <laughs> we have a vibrant uh, Twitter uh, presence right <laughs> presence. now. So. <laughs> for sure. All right. Stay frosty. Bye-bye.
Ah, uh, we getting funky now.